Well, amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Pretty good? All right. Thank you. One person, everyone else, shame on you for not having a good morning. I'm excited that y'all are here today. My name is John, serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm just excited to see what God has for us um, today. Um, as you know, that we are getting ready to lead into Thanksgiving Day, or in this coming up on Thursday. So who is excited about some turkey day? Ready? We're ready to go? Ready to eat some food? Yes. My wife is 32 weeks pregnant, and so Thanksgiving for a pregnant woman is kind of like the Super Bowl for a football player, right? They're coming there to play the game. They're coming there to get after it. So it's game time at the Urban Household. We're ready to do this thing. I'm excited about it. Um, The thing I would encourage you all is this week, as we um, head into this week, obviously this is a time that we are able to to pause and to remember and to to be thankful. And I I encourage you um, to examine your life. Look at all the different things that God has blessed you with and look for opportunities to be able to to not only thank him, but to thank others in your life and just to enjoy this time. So whether you're going to spend this time with family or with friends or, or whatever your plans are, I encourage you um, to find some time just to be thankful um, to the Lord and what he has done for you. And so it's going to be a good week. Um, I'm excited to eat myself some food on Thursday. Um, we're going to jump right into this message today. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. And so if you want to go and turn to Hebrews, um, we're going to primarily be in chapter 11. But as we get to that, as I was preparing for this message, I kind of came across a couple other verses that I felt like... Um, They encourage me a lot about why we gather, why we're here today. And so I wanted to read those as well to kind of give a precursor um, to the rest of the message. And the first one is in Hebrews chapter 10, um, verses 24 and 25. This is a very familiar passage. Um, You've probably read it before, heard it um, talked about before. Um, But it states this, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When I read that, I was just reminded of why we gather here on Sunday mornings, why we do this on a weekly basis. And of course, um, there is a big aspect of a Sunday morning is we're here um, to give praise to God. We're here um, to lift up the name of Jesus. We're here to look at everything that's happened all week long and to think about all the different blessings God's given us and for us collectively to come together as one body to lift up God's name, to be able to open God's word and figure out um, what it means and how it applies to our life, to be able to grow in this, to be able to study it and just to allow God to be able to speak to this. Obviously, those are big aspects, but the thing about meeting together, the thing that we're able to do is we are able to encourage one another. Because here's the thing, we can worship God anytime. We don't have to wait until Sunday. So if you've been waiting until Sunday to worship God, you don't have to do that. You can do it anytime that you want to do it. You can study God's word and see how it applies to your life anytime that you want to do it. The thing that we can't do without one another is encouraging one another. So the reason that we gather on a Sunday morning, the reason we gather in connect groups, the reason we serve on teams, the reason we get together with people and sit down and open the Bible at a coffee shop is because we need that time to encourage one another in our faith so that the times that we are having tough weeks or the times that we're having good weeks, we're able to come alongside each other and encourage one another. I know it's very easy to allow Sundays just to be a routine where we just come in and go back out again, come in and go back out again. And I want us to remember that this is an important time in the life of a believer when we're together and there's a specific reason that we're here to do that. But I also don't want to allow Sundays to become stale, for Sundays just to, again, be something where we just go through the motions. Earlier on in the book of Hebrews, you see in chapter, um, chapter 5, 
there's a verse in verse 11 um, that really is, kind of gives us a warning. And it says this. It says, chapter 5, verse 11 says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear because you no longer try to understand. I think sometimes that happens in our Sunday morning environments because maybe we've been coming for so long that we, we aren't given it the same thing that we were given it in the very beginning. We aren't diligently trying to understand God's word and trying to see how it applies to our life. We're not constantly trying to look for opportunities to encourage one another. So my, my challenge and my encouragement for us today is I pray that today we're encouraged. I pray today that we have attentive ear, ears, that we are ready to learn, we are ready to hear from the Lord, and that's that we, we take these, these encouragement, these warnings from the book of Hebrews, and we figure out how we can apply it to our lives. And so that's my challenge for you today. Um, there is a couple things I wanted us to celebrate today. Hopefully this will be an encouragement to you all. Last week, uh, for those that were here, um, we got to celebrate and watch 20 people publicly profess their faith in Jesus through baptism. So that was pretty cool. Y'all can give a round of applause to that. Um, we also had um, 10 people get baptized over at our Vidalia campus. And then in Pooler today, they're doing baptisms. And so, man, we're just seeing incredible things take place. Um, of those um, 20 baptisms, 13 of those people had no idea that they were getting baptized that day. But because of what um, God is speaking to their heart, they decided in that moment to take that step and to be baptized. And so it was incredible to be able to see that. Um, we had um, one person last week after the 11 o'clock service, um, they actually um, accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I got to talk to them and, and hear kind of what God was putting on their heart. And then after we prayed together, I said, look, we just heard a message about how after salvation comes baptism. You ready to do this thing? And he said, man, let's, let's do this. And so we get to baptize him after the 11 a.m. service. Two weeks ago, on a Wednesday, we had one of our students and Connection students give their life to the Lord. And then two days ago, um, Justin, our student pastor, sent us a message, our, our um, staff little um, group message. And he said, I just sat down with a college student at a coffee shop, and he just asked um, Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. So, man, it's been absolutely incredible what the Lord has been doing and so many things for us to be able to celebrate. For those that don't know, um, yesterday uh, was November 17th. You probably knew that, but what you maybe didn't know was that that is the actual 10-year anniversary of Connection Church. We've been here for 10 years, so 10 years ago, um, Brandon got a pot of chili, got some people together, and um, casted the vision of this church. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a wild ride, and it's just been incredible to see. And we spent a long time um, praying through, thinking through you know, how do we recognize this day? How do we look at this day? This is a significant day um, of our church, and, you know, how do we look at this? And what we realize is that um, with the best of intentions, sometimes it's very easy for us to take days like this and for us to take, begin to take the credit ourselves. For us to begin making statements of saying, look at what Connection Church did, right? Look at what we were able to accomplish. And what we realize is though we can have the best of intentions, we have to fight against that, right? Because there's a reason that we have it's all about Jesus up on that wall. We don't want to just have it up on the wall just because it's a clever thing to say. We want that to be true in everything that we do. And so what we realize is that at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what's happened in the past 10 years of this little C church. It matters what's happened over the past 2,000 years in God's church and that we are all a part of that. And so we can celebrate what God is doing across all of the different churches. You see in the book of Matthew, 
when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you are the rock that I'm going to build my church on and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so what that tells us is that God's church is always going to be growing. It's always going to be prevailing. And so we can continue to celebrate what God's doing, whether it's here within these four walls under the name Connection Church or whether it's in any other church, we're going to continue to celebrate that. So the anniversary that we're going to celebrate is the anniversary of Jesus dying for our sins and because we never want to allow it to be about any anything else. And so while we've been incredibly thankful for what God has allowed us to be a part of here at Connection, we never want it to be about connection. We're going to fight day in and day out to always allow it to be about Jesus. And so lots of stuff to celebrate, lots of stuff to be excited about. You ready to study, study some Hebrews? We're ready to go, ready to listen fast? All right, let's do this. All right, so the book of Hebrews, okay, the book of Hebrews um, we don't really know who wrote this book. There's a lot of different um, assumptions of maybe who the author was. Some people early on thought maybe that it was Paul, um, but really over time we realized we don't really know who wrote it. And we also don't know exactly who the intended audience was. Um, but we do know that when you look at the book of Hebrews, a lot of what it's talking about is looking back at the Old Testament. It's almost like every other verse, it's quoting something from the Old Testament. And so more than likely, the audience that this was being spoken to was probably some Jewish Christians. These were some people that they grew up in the Jewish faith, faith, but now they have accepted Jesus. And so they had a very good understanding of the Jewish faith, of the Old Testament. They had a really good understanding of that. As I was um, studying for this, one of the things that I realized is that, um, because I was told it as I was studying it, was... That the reason the book of Hebrews is called the book of Hebrews is because the audience that it was written to were probably Hebrew, right? And I don't know why, I just realized that, right? I know that like the book of Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus, so that's why it's called the book of Ephesians. I just never quite put together, oh, the people that this was written to were Hebrews, so that's why they call it the book of Hebrews. Maybe all of you have already figured that out, right? Maybe I'm the only one in that, but if you ever feel like that you just... You're never going to be smart enough. You're never going to understand the Bible fully. You're never going to understand it like the guy up on the stage understands things. Let me be the first one to tell you, right, that um, I still have a long way to go. And I didn't put together that the book of Hebrews, who was written to Hebrews, which is why it was written and called the book of Hebrews, I didn't put any of that together. So, like, pray for me. I'm still a work in progress. I don't have it all together. So if you just don't ever feel like, you know, you just, you're um, not constantly learning. I want you to realize that, um, it doesn't matter where you're at in your faith. Just continue to press in because we learn something new every day. So in case you didn't know that, that's a free one for you today. All right. So we see that throughout this book, in the beginning part of the book, there's an overall theme. And I want to express that theme to you. So this is the main point. If you're taking notes, this is something I would write down. This author is trying to explain the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. He's wanting to explain to this audience the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. Now, Christ is ultimately the one who reveals God's grace. So we're talking about how Jesus is um, his absolute supremacy, his sufficiency, and how ultimately Jesus is who reveals God's grace. Now, this audience, they would have understood all the things from the Old Testament. So what the author begins to do in the beginning of this book is he begins to prove 
just what I just talked about. And so he begins to talk about how Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than all of these priests that have come before you. Jesus is greater than all of that because he's wanting to get them to understand what they grew up believing, what, what was happening in the very beginning. All of that is pointing to Jesus. So he wants to give them a fuller understanding of that. And then, in light of that understanding, in light of them coming to terms with that, in light of us coming to terms with that, what do we do with that? How does that now affect us in our life? That's what Hebrews is trying to express. And so when we get to chapter 11, what we see chapter 11 is, chapter 11 is all about faith. It's all about looking back at the Old Testament, looking back at stories that maybe many of us have heard or we've read before, and looking at these situations that these people um, came up against and how their faith was the only thing that got them through that. And so you see a phrase that's repeated in chapter 11 over and over again. It's the phrase, by faith. You see it like 22 times in this chapter alone. The author says, by faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Gideon did this. By faith, by faith, by faith. And it's explaining over and over again what faith allowed these people to do. And what we see is that there's action tied to their faith. And, it, and the point of doing all this, the point that the, the reason the author's trying to show this audience all of this is to give them confidence for the future, right? Because when we look at God's um, faithfulness in the past, it gives us the confidence to do things in the future, whether we're looking back at our own life or whether we're looking back at the life of other believers and things that they are going through. This is what gives us the confidence to continue to take next steps. And so let's define faith just a little bit because I want to make sure we're all on the same page with what we're thinking about when we hear the word faith. And so as I was studying for this, I found several different ways that people describe this, but I've got three things um, that I want to explain of how we can define faith. The first one is faith is a response to what God has revealed. Faith is a response to what God has revealed. So what I mean by that is what God has revealed to us Right? What comes from that is our faith. Right? So God's constantly revealing things to us through his Holy Spirit, and that is what fuels our faith. Number two, faith is an action. We see that faith is an action. In every one of these stories that you see in chapter 11, it is tied to some sort of action. Right? The Bible says that faith without works is dead. Faith and works go together. Faith and action go together. Right? Does, our, um, does our action, does our works, is that what gives us salvation? No. All right? That's not what this is talking about. It's just saying that after salvation, our faith is going to produce works. And so the two go with one another. The third thing is that faith is not dependent on an outcome. Faith is not dependent on an outcome. Or maybe faith doesn't need to be dependent on an outcome. And what I mean by outcome is I mean like our circumstances. Our faith does not need to be, should not be dependent on our circumstances. Because when we allow it to be dependent on our circumstances, that is when our faith is going to go up and down. That's when we're going to have crisis of faith because we don't know what to do with what's in front of us because all of our faith is dependent on how things are happening in my life. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look 
a specific section in chapter 11. Again, there's so many stories that are talked about and that are referenced in, in chapter 11, but I just want to speak into one person. That person is Abraham. Many of us were probably familiar a little bit with the life of Abraham. I figured that was one that maybe we had a little bit of understanding with. And so let's specifically look at that. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to look at Abraham and look at how faith affected him. And so chapter 11, verse 8 says this, by faith. Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with the foundations, whose architect and builder is God. All right, so this is pointing back to Genesis 12, I believe, where God has come to Abraham and told Abraham, I want you to move from where you are. I want you to leave everything that you've known, and I want you to head out to this promised land. But here's the thing. I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm not going to tell you what all is going to happen, but I just want you to go. And we see this is one of the first times that Abraham is challenged in his faith. God's telling him to do something, but he doesn't know how it's all going to play out. He doesn't know what the circumstances are going to look like. And so, but through faith, by faith, faith, Abraham was able to trust God when God was calling him to do this. It continues, verse 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise, and so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So here is the story. Many of you know that Abraham and Sarah, they were not able to have kids. She was barren. She was not able to conceive. And so this is a big issue. However, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son. And he said, look, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac. And through Isaac, the, um, his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It was this incredible promise. But Abraham sitting here, he's looking at this. And it's actually kind of funny how the author in Hebrews talks about this. And it's actually kind of rude because he says, and so from this one man, he is as good as dead. He's basically saying, look, this guy is so old, he might as well be dead. And Abraham's going, look, God, like, I have a little bit of an understanding of, of biology, like not much of one. Right? I mean, I knew why Hebrews was called Hebrews, but hey, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy. But like, he's sitting there going, I'm 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. God, we're not going to be able to have any more kids. So how are you promising us that we're able to have more kids? But again, Abraham's just going, well, all right, I'm, i got to trust God because God's saying this is going to happen, so I'm just going to choose to believe. We again see incredible faith that Abraham has. Jump down to verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. A little foreshadowing there. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Here's the story of where now Isaac's been born. Right? So the miracle took place of where God provided a way for Abraham and Sarah to have a child. And now God has come to Abraham and said, hey, that child that I've promised you, I want you to go up on that mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. And you've got to imagine Abraham's going God, this doesn't make sense. Why would you promise me this only for you to take it away from me? In that moment, Abraham is struggling. But yet Abraham still had the faith to say, well, 
if God's asking me to do that, I guess what's going to have to happen is he's just going to have to raise him from the dead because that's the only other solution because I know he promised me this son. But Abraham was struggling in his circumstances, but yet it was still his faith that allowed him to continue. And so what I thought about is that in those moments, I kind of, I like to put myself in the shoes of the people that are experiencing this. And so I was thinking about what would I be like if I was in Abraham's shoes? I feel like I'd, every single day I'd almost have this crisis of faith of going, God, what are you doing? I don't understand this. I think many of us, we come into with situations where we do the same thing. And this is what it kind of looks like. It ends up looking like we look at a situation and we say, God, if you knew this was going to happen, why did you allow that to happen? Have you ever asked something like that, right? Where you look at a situation, you're like, God, why did you allow this to happen if, if ultimately you knew this was going to happen? It just doesn't make sense. I can't make sense of how you could turn this around, of how you could make this good. I don't see how you could possibly be in this. Or maybe you look at situations and you say, I just don't see any way around this. I feel like I'm in the middle between a, a rock and a hard place, right? You ever feel like you're in situations in your life where you just don't have an answer. You don't know what to do. You can't, every way you look at it, you just can't seem to figure out what to do. And growing up, uh, me and my dad, we like to watch the show MacGyver. Okay, so, and I'm talking the original MacGyver. I'm talking the one with Richard Dean Anderson, all right? We had, growing up, we had a poster with Richard Dean Anderson. He was, had flames behind him. We had it signed. It was up in the basement. That's not weird at all, right? But we loved MacGyver. There's a new MacGyver that's out right now. It's a reboot. Not the same as the old one, okay? But I still watch it. I'm not going to, you know, be up here and lying to you. I still watch it um, because it's kind of my guilty pleasure. My wife thinks I'm ridiculous because it's just silly. But the whole point of the show MacGyver is there's this, this guy that's who's, who's brilliant. He works for this secret government agency, right? And he finds himself in these situations that are seemingly impossible, right? There's no answer. And then MacGyver shows up. And we're like, MacGyver, what are we going to do, right? Well, um, I was actually watching an episode yesterday, um, and there was a situation where MacGyver had this big bomb, right? This bomb weighed a whole um, lot. He wasn't able to pick it up. This bomb had three minutes and 30 seconds counting down, right? And it was going to blow up, blow up this, this huge block. And he's sitting there, and he's going, I don't know what to do because the only thing I can do is I have to get underneath this bomb in order to disarm it, right? But I can't get it under, underneath it because it's too heavy. So they're looking at this situation. They're saying, look, there's no way out of this situation, right? And so MacGyver's thinking, and he's like, wait a minute, I've got it. He saw that there was some rope strategically placed on the cabinet over there. So he went and grabbed this rope. Then he found a tarp. He grabs this tarp, puts the tarp underneath the bomb, lifts this rope up over a solid steel beam that just so happened to be above this huge bomb. Two of his friends magically show up and say, MacGyver, what do we need to do? And he said, hey, you all use physics. Lift up this thing. I'm going to get underneath it and I'm going to disarm it. So they lift it up. They're like, MacGyver, we can only hold it so much longer. It's counting down. He gets underneath the bomb, disarms it. Five seconds later, MacGyver says, a day, and it is completely 100% realistic, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Keep, stay with me, okay? Maybe you don't get this side about MacGyver, but man, I do, all right? Swiss Army knives. Woo! So the thing I love about MacGyver is he looks at every situation and he says, the way I'm looking at it from this point of view, there is no answer. But MacGyver says, if I can just get up there, if I can just go around there, if I can just get underneath this, this bomb, then maybe I can fix it. MacGyver never allows his point of view to be the only point of view that he looks at. And that's why I love that show. But see, here's the thing. What happens with us is we look at certain situations and we're not able to do that. We're not able to see 
around it. And so we only look at it from our point of view. This, the example I use over and over again, and I've used it in many messages. Many of you have probably heard me talk about this before. But I, to me, it just it makes so much sense, and it helps me in my faith as I think about, and I put myself in the shoes of the disciples immediately after the crucifixion. Right? Think about what was going on in their minds. They were probably asking the question of, God, why did you send your son to earth? Right? We had all this great time with him. He was healing people. It was great. We were learning. We were growing only for him to be killed. God, why would you do that? That just doesn't make sense. You've got to imagine those three days. Yeah, they had remembered there was Jesus said something about coming back, but that probably wasn't speaking very loud in their, their minds. Right? They knew it. But it wasn't probably maybe that loud. Maybe it was, but I just, I'm just thinking about what I would be doing in that situation. I would just be questioning and saying, God, what, what just happened? Your son was killed. How can this ever be better? What are we going to do with this? Right? And then the resurrection happens. Then the point of view of the disciples shifted because they were looking at it like this. And all of a sudden, they, they stepped back and they saw a fuller explanation of what was going on. And God then showed them and revealed to them, there's more going on than what you saw initially. I've got a better plan going on. But see, here's the thing. Even though, obviously, we now know through Christ's resurrection, we now have incredible hope. And it's changed our lives forever. It didn't mean that Jesus still didn't need to go to the cross. And that was tough, Right? That's pretty, pretty rough to be crucified. Those disciples still had to witness this take place. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain that went on. So oftentimes when we're in these moments, just like these disciples were in a moment where they had to choose to have faith, oftentimes the circumstances might still remain, right? It still might be tough. I want to read for y'all towards the end of chapter 11. It gives some more examples of what happens when we're in these situations where our faith has to guide us because sometimes it looks one way and sometimes it looks another. So jump down to verse 32 in chapter 11. This author, he's continuing to give story after story after story from the Old Testament. He gets to a point where he says this. He says, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what is promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And we look at that, and we look at these by faith moments where you see incredible victories, and you see that the people were being conquered, and you see... And the mouths of lions were being shut, and it's just incredible. And you're like, man, those are the type of moments I want to see in my life. I want to have the type of faith where when we, we see that happen, you see God moving in incredible ways, and you see people get baptized, and you see salvation, you see all these incredible things, and it's just awesome. And you're like, man, that's what I would love to see. That's the things that I'm talking about. And then you get to the next section where it says this. It says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And we look at those situations and we say, yes, they had faith, but look at what the outcome was. And we struggle with that group of people, right? We'd much rather be in that first group of people where you see incredible victories and you see incredible things happening, where you see the circumstances go the way that 
here on earth we wanted them to go. But you get in that second group, and that's where you see that not everything happens always like we want it to happen. Sometimes there is still suffering. And that goes back to that third point that I told you, that our faith cannot be dependent on our outcome. So I want us to, I want us to dig in this a little bit deeper because I want us to really think about this, this vantage point that I'm talking about. When we look at our situations, we look at what's in front of us, we look at what's going on, and oftentimes we can't see anything but that. So how, how do we look beyond that? As I was preparing for this message, um, I was watching a video on YouTube. It's done by a ministry called The Bible Project. And what um, they do is they have um, videos um, of every single book of the Bible, and they give basically an explanation of what that um, book is all about. And so they get talk about the author. They talk about who it's written to. They talk about the themes in the Bible. They talk about what the overall purpose of this book was. And so if you're studying Scripture and you never check that out, I would highly, highly, highly encourage you, before you begin reading a book of the Bible, go on YouTube, type in The Bible Project, and then Hebrews, and it'll come up. It is an incredible resource. I highly, highly recommend it. So go and check that out. But as I was watching this, I finished up that video. And oftentimes when you're on YouTube, another video will play right after that. And it was a video talking about God. It was another one that the Bible Project did. And it was just an overarching thing talking about God. And the beginning por portion of it, it was an explanation of the Trinity, right? The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, how the three are one. And a lot of people, that's a, that's a tough thing for some people to wrap their mind around. How can you have three in one? How's that even possible. And so this video tried to explain this. And so in one minute, it explains how the Trinity, three, can be one. And I feel like though this message isn't about the Trinity, the way they describe this, I believe, is going to really help us understand um, a, a different component of faith and how that applies to our lives. So I want you to watch this video real quick. The question that's always bothered me. The Bible says there's one God, but in other parts of the Bible, God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. How can it be both? Yeah, this is a question that has mystified people for thousands of years. And while we can't fully explain it, I think we can better understand what it is that we can't fully understand. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Here's a two-dimensional plane. And then here's an object with three dimensions that's going to pass through the 2D plane. Okay, right. From this perspective, the 3D object's above and below the plane. So now it makes sense, but imagine you were a 2D person stuck on the 2D plane. What would you see? I don't know. What would I see? Well, it would look like this. Oh, yeah, okay. From this perspective, it looks impossible. It's one object, and then, then two objects, and then three. But in reality, they're all one, just not in a way you're capable of understanding. Pretty cool explanation of the Trinity, right? Right? Maybe you um, never really quite thought about that before, but I thought it was just um, really, really cool. Obviously, that doesn't explain every aspect of the Trinity, but wh here's what I thought was so cool about that, is that it opened up the possibility of our understanding only going so far, right? It opened up the possibility. So let's say our perspective in this world is a 2D perspective. God exists in a 3D perspective. Environment. What that would mean is that when we look at things, we can only see one perspective, right? Our vantage point, right? Here's what faith does. Faith allows that 2D perspective of looking at something and only seeing it head on. Faith gives us a glimpse of just like that thing 
that video showed for us to see there might be something going on here, right? But here's the thing. As humans, we're not capable of thinking like God. But what God does through the Holy Spirit speaking to us is he gives us glimpses of that 3D environment, right? I'm not, hopefully I'm not losing you in the metaphor, but maybe this is helping you see that's where our faith comes alive. When he shows us something that maybe, just maybe, there's something else going on here. And so when I ask the questions, God, how could you allow this to happen only for that to happen? It makes us step back from that and go, maybe I'm not seeing the full picture. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It's not, it doesn't mean that... It's whatever the outcome might be, but I'm knowing that maybe there's more to what I'm seeing. You know, this week um, I was talking to somebody because I was thinking about how that type of faith, that type of understanding with things, sometimes people struggle with that because they're like, that just seems like you're just kind of having a a blind faith with things and that you're, I need more explanation. I need more of a um, a reason behind things. And I was talking to this person and we were talking about different things, actually Olivia Sanhagen, our children's coordinator, and I was, we were talking about a bunch of different things and I was just kind of, it was a um, tough conversation, but I was talking to her, and I said, Olivia, I, I need some good news. Do so you have any good news? Like, what's something we can celebrate? And she said, actually, I do have some good news. And she said, I was talking to um, a mother the other day, and this mother has a three-year-old child, and they um, go to Connection Kids, and this child loves um, going to kids and just loves going there. And so um, they left after one Sunday, and they were in the car, and they're going home, and the parents, they were talking back and forth. And I don't really know what they were talking about, but basically it was something about there was some things to worry about, whether it was finances or whether it was family issues or health issues or um, whatever it may be. There was, um, it was a conversation where they were just kind of worried about what's to come. They were worried about what was going to happen. They were just trying to figure things out and trying to understand it. And all of a sudden this child says, Mom, don't worry. God's got this. And this mom, like, lost it, right? Because she's sitting there and she's saying and looking at the faith of her child, the faith of her three-year-old child who has this understanding that no matter what, God has got this. Here's what's incredible, guys. That day in kids, um, the, um, at that age group, we have something known as the bottom line, right? Our curriculum gives us this thing called the bottom line. The point of this is that at three years old, you're only going to get so much, right? You're only going to take in so much. And so they say, if we can give this child anything, it's going to be the bottom line. And so the bottom line that day was, who's got this? God's got this. Who's got this? God's got this. And that three-year-old grabbed a hold of that principle, grabbed a hold of that truth, looked at a situation that was in front of him on the way home and said, I can apply what I just learned in kids. The reason we believe that your kids are better suited to be over that over there is because we're able to create environments where kids are able to hear about Jesus on their level and be able to understand Jesus on their level. So that child was able to grab a hold of that principle and apply it and completely affect their family situation in that, right? But Again, many of you are looking at it and saying, look, that's great for that child to be able to, to have that thought. But, you know, like, you still have to figure things out, right? But, but see, that child, they weren't worried about the how. They weren't worried about when this was going to happen, what was going to happen, how it was going to play out. They just knew at the end of the day, God has got this. But, again, maybe you're saying, I'm just too much of a realist. I'm too, I've got to have more explanation. I can't have that type of blind faith, right? But the thing is, is that we have blind faith all the time. Every one of you have blind faith all the time. Don't believe me? I'm going to show you. you. Maybe you've seen this example before. I'm going to show you an example of me having blind faith right in front of you. You ready? Here we go. Did you see it? Did you see the blind faith? Right, I'm going to do it one more time for you because maybe you missed it. Here we go. You ready? What was my blind faith? My blind faith was the fact that I just sat down in that chair. Here's the thing, guys. I didn't investigate that chair. 
I didn't see how it was built. I didn't ask who built it. I didn't look at the, the construction manual. I didn't make sure, is it, is it strong enough? Is it good enough? I didn't think about any of those things. I didn't need the proof. I didn't need to study it. I didn't need to do any of those things. I chose to put my faith, literally to rest my body on this chair. And I chose to do that without any of that knowledge, right? Maybe that's a silly example. This um, past week, I um, take my daughter to speech on Fridays, and we were there, and they have um, different books there. And there was a book talking about um, space and the solar system and the sun and the moons and all this different stuff. And we were kind of reading it together. And it was one of those books that kind of gave you all the different facts. And one of the, the stats that it showed it said that um, it was comparing the size of the earth with the size of the sun. And it was saying that you could fit 1.3 million earths inside of the sun. 1.3 million, right? The earth, I don't know if you've seen it before, it's pretty big. Right? And so to think about 1.3 million of them can fit inside of this sun, we're going, okay, the sun, man, that's really, really big, right? Well, then you, you take it a step further and you realize that the sun is a star, right? And, it, and all the different planets that surround this sun, that represents um, our solar system, right? And so this solar system fits inside of a larger galaxy known as the Milky Way galaxy. Now, how many other galaxies like our, um, our solar system, or excuse me, how many other solar systems like our solar system exists in the Milky Way? I'll answer for you. 200 to 400 billion other solar systems. So 200 to 400 billion stars exist in the Milky Way. So take our star, the sun, and what goes on there, multiply that by 200 to 400 billion, and that represents the Milky Way. It keeps on going because the Milky Way is only one galaxy apart from billions of other galaxies. The Milky Way isn't even the biggest galaxy. And so you have all of these billions of billions of galaxies that exist. And I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm reading this, and I don't know, I just, honestly, I started kind of getting freaked out because I'm like, I sure hope somebody's holding all this together, right? Because, like, to just think about the concept of space, the concept of that sheer size, we can't comprehend it. Maybe you're an astrophysicist and said, well, technically I can't comprehend it. No, you can't because you can't comprehend that size. There's no way for us to do that. Here's what's crazy. The universe is constantly expanding. So not only is it that big, it's continually growing. And so I'm sitting here thinking and I'm going, I'm never worried about earth just falling out of the sky or stop turning or any of these things happening. I'm not worried about that. Why am I not worried about that? Because there's something in me that says there's got to be something greater that's holding all this together. I sure hope that there's something greater holding all this together because if all of this is by chance, then man, maybe we have a lot to be worried about because at any point, all of this could fall apart. But it doesn't seem like that that's happened for quite a while. So it seems like that maybe there's something greater at work here. What I realize is that if we're able to put our, our faith and our hope in things that big or even things this small, how much more should we be able to do it in our circumstances and be able to trust if God has those things in, our, in his hand? And I think it's reasonable to conclude that he does, then why can we not take that step and go, I know I can't see it. I know I can't see the full perspective of what's going on here, but I'm going to choose to believe it. You know, I just, I think about, man, what does, what does it take for us to be able to do that? What does it take 
for us to be able to look at our situation, to look at our circumstances, to look at the situation that's requiring faith and to go, maybe there's more to this. And can I trust that God's in this? Can I trust what he's leading me in, even though I don't understand it, that it's going to be for my good? Oftentimes, I think that we can't do that. We struggle with that. I was, in the book of John, um, we see a story of somebody that, for them, they just had a hard time believing something that they, that they didn't see. Right, this is the story of Thomas. In John chapter 20, we see this account. Of, this is after Jesus um, has been raised and he's begun appearing to different people. And all of a sudden we see this interaction with Thomas and disciples and Jesus. And it says this in verse 24, chapter 20 of um, the Gospel of John. It says, now Thomas... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. That had to be crazy. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God, he believed. Jesus, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think about that story and think about for Thomas, he needed to see it in order to grab a hold of it. And see, here's the thing is that our physical eyesight, it gives us the evidence of what's in front of us, right? When I, when I look out, when I see this chair, it gives me the, the evidence that this chair exists. But see, it's our, our faith. Think of it as another sense. Just like we have our five senses, think about our faith as another sense. And, and that faith is what gives us the evidence of the invisible. It's what gives us the evidence that maybe there's more than what I can just see. Maybe there's more to the story. Maybe there's a 3D environment in front of me and I'm just not capable of seeing it. Our faith tells us that. Just like my eyes tell me that this chair is here, our faith tells us that God is here. Our faith tells us that God is true and the things that he's shown us is real. You know, our senses, they give us um, an explanation and they show us God's creativity. So when we see a sunset, when we smell a flower, when we hear a child's laughter, right? It's all those things that like reveals God's goodness, right? Our logic, our mind allows us to under things like, understand things like space and understand theology and understand these different things and grab a hold of that. But it's our faith, that aspect of faith is what allows us to know God, allows us to interact with somebody that normally we wouldn't even be capable of interacting with. That faith allows him to reveal himself to us and to be changed, for to allow our minds to be renewed, to allow our perspective to see something it normally would not even be capable of seeing. But we can't always make sense of that. When you look at these stories, these by-faith stories, these people, they weren't any different than you or me. But they decided that even though I can't see the full picture here, I'm going to choose to believe because there's something 
in me, I have some type of sense that just like I can see something in front of me, I just have confidence that this is true. Last week when I was praying with that gentleman to receive Christ, one of the things he said was, man, for the past several weeks I've been coming and there's just been something inside of me that's been telling me I need Jesus. It's just, and I just can't shake it. And it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't something he could feel. It wasn't something he could touch. It wasn't something he could even express fully. And I was like, man, that's where his faith came alive. That's where his faith was born. And I got to, to witness him express that. My encouragement for y'all is to come back to those moments. Come back to that moment when you received Jesus, when your faith came alive, when you didn't need all of the answers, when you didn't question every circumstance. And I pray we come back to that and we use the times that we can remember those times of faith. And that's what gives us the confidence so that we can look back at our lives and say, by faith, I was able to do that. And now because of that, I'm going to have the faith to do this or to do that or whatever it is that God is commanding you to do. So here's what I want us to do as we close. Because we're going to sing one more song. And I want you to take this time to be reminded of God's faithfulness in your life. I want you to take time to think about the faithfulness of God in Abraham's life, in Noah's life, and these other pillars of the faith. I want you to think about the faithfulness that we've seen as this body of believers. Think about all these different things and to allow that to speak to you, that, to you, to allow that to encourage you. Maybe today there's something inside of you, just like that guy last week that's saying, I need to know Jesus, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't have all the answers. I don't know much, but I know I need something. And maybe you need to come forward, you need to speak with one of our prayer people. Maybe during this song, you need to come forward, and you just need to kneel down and surrender before the Lord. Just like I put my faith in this chair, you need to put the full weight of your life in the Lord. I don't know what that is for you, but as we sing, I encourage you, don't leave. Allow this time to be a time where you can remember. This song is all about Jesus, all about the cross. It's a perfect song for us to close and for us to collectively celebrate together. And after we sing this, um, I'll come up and I'll dismiss this. So let me pray for us. Um, Y'all can go ahead and stand as we get ready to enter and continue into worship. Father, we are so thankful for your son. God, we're thankful for the times that we can look back in scripture and see people just like us have moments where their faith was questioned, but moments where you proved yourself faithful and you allowed them to take the steps. And we can look back at that as memorial stones. We can look back at that as reasons that we can have hope to continue to take steps even when we don't understand. God, I pray that your spirit continues to reveal new things to us that our minds are continually renewed and we have a better and fuller understanding of who you are. God, I pray that you continue to kind of give us that 3D view, that view that you see that we're unable to see. God, give us just glimpses of that. God, as we worship, give us a glimpse of that, of what you desire for us in our life. God, we love you, God. We thank you. And God, we pray that this worship is pleasing to your ear.